Once a week, recapping the Hollywood week that was, getting you ready for the Hollywood week to come. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. Hashtag MMO Weekly. Hashtag MMOW. I am your co-host, Mike One. I almost called myself Also Mike, but that's you, co-host Also Mike. That is me. Uh, This is November 11th, 2019. 25 years to the day of the release of two seminal holiday classics. Mm -hmm. One, Tim Allen's The Santa Claus, and the other, uh, Interview with a Vampire. Tim Allen's Santa Claus is one of the guiltier pleasures for my holiday viewing. I really like it. Do you watch it often still? I've watched it like two or three years ago. It was fun. Okay. It still holds up? Uh, yeah, it's still fun. Right. I feel I, like that's one of those movies that if you watch now, it would just fall apart. ZZ Top, <laughs> ZZ Top playing uh, Sharp Dress Man right. and slow motion Santa Claus walk with the crew <laughs> You know, into any room is going to work. It's going to be timeless. All I can remember from that is him when he gained the 30 pounds and he's talking to his doctor and he's jiggling his fat belly. Yeah. He's like, does this look like a little weight to you? That's a good quote. Yeah. Good. We have middle-aged men. It might work better now for us. But I haven't seen More it relatable. Yeah. Uh, interview with a vampire, though, that didn't work for me the first time. I don't think I've ever seen it. I want to, just because... I mean, you have to. If Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise are going to put in fake teeth for a whole movie, right. you you owe it to yourself to see that, right? I wasn't a fan of Drone. I know that's a guilt. It's more than a guilty pleasure for a lot of folks. Some a lot of people generally like it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and Rice is any, uh... great writer. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. We can get in the holiday mood by watching Interview with a Vampire. <laughs> uh, we'll pivot now. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Week. This is our once a week entertainment and Hollywood show that's everything that isn't necessarily Oscars and award season related. If right. you're looking for specifically and only a show dedicated to Oscars and award season news, well, don't worry. We have one of those once a week as well. That's our Oscar race checkpoint that tends to come towards the end of your work week. We like to start off your work week with a little more lighthearted fare, recapping everything going on in the wonderful world of Hollywood. So that's where we are today. This is MMO Weekly. And Mike, how are we starting this episode today? This is what we're watching. Thank you. I watched Motherless Brooklyn. Why? It was really good. Was it really? Wow. I enjoyed the heck out of Didn't this. Didn't see that coming. I love a gumshoe mystery with a great cast, terrific production values, awesome music. Now, I know you're getting on me for that because Tom York is not one of your favorites from Radiohead. <sighs> That's putting it nicely. His <laughs> is the lesser song. They actually do a jazz rendition of his song, Daily Battles, in the movie. I've been listening huh. to that jazz rendition of Daily Battles from Motherless Brooklyn on Spotify, like on repeat, is just in my head. I love it so much. Tom York, I don't mind the music. Mm -hmm. I mind the way he treats, like, that'd be like... You want him to play the hits. Exactly. Like, if Foo Fighters came out in their concerts and was like, we're not going to play time like these. Right. Because we just don't, we're sick of times like these and learn to fly. Okay, why am I here then? (laughs) I paid you money. (laughs) To play the hits. Right. That's your whole grudge. Exactly. I can't you don't stand hate that. the music. Creep's good. Creep's a legitimately decent song. But you only like Creep. That's it. <laughs> anyway, Motherless Brooklyn, folks, is probably Oscar adjacent. I, I really like it as Ed Norton's best attempt at like Chinatown. You got a great cast, like I was saying. Like. I mean, Alec Baldwin's got some good scenes. He's also got some unforgivable speeches. Which oh, like, really? This is where power lies. This is how power works. This is what men say. Yeah, you kind of got a piece of that in the preview. Hated it. Yeah. Hated all those scenes so much. But I guess, you know, you're doing the Anthony Hopkins scene where you take your best actor in the cast and you let him do the exposition dump. Right. Or you let him state the theme. So it's doing that. All right. I love Gugum Bathara. There's a, a bunch of other cast members who do a terrific job. But, Mike, this is like one of those dad movies that I've always loved in my life. And I'm never going to stop loving these movies. And I mentioned a while back when I was watching a football game at my parents' house, my dad was like, well, that looks good. <laughs> and I, you know, I can't wait to tell him about this movie. Easy. He would love this movie. I'm a chip off the old block. I love this movie, too. I gave it a B plus. Oh, wow. That's a pretty high grade. All right. I can see why it was the closing night film at the New York Film Festival now. I it mean, was a big week for dad movies overall, too. One led the box office, surprisingly. We'll get to that. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> uh, the other uh, two movies I watched were The Peanut Butter Falcon and Angry Birds 2. So The, the same movie. Same movie, uh, just like our opening <laughs> yep. with those two. <laughs> Peanut Butter Falcon, another B plus all day. I am in love with the setup of this movie. I'm in love with the road trip uh, uh, that they take 
there is a performance that is just so gosh darn courageous in here from Zach Gotzhagen. Mike, he's acting with Down Syndrome. He's a 35-year-old actor with Down Syndrome, just knocking this role out of the park. Yeah, I've heard nothing but high praise about him and about that movie in general. Rotten Tomatoes seems to reflect that. 4,600 audience reviews gave it a 96% right now, 170 critic score, 95% certified fresh. So uh, everyone that sees it seems to speak lovingly about it and about him specifically. Now, you're going to want to watch this movie, too, because Jake the Snake Roberts is in here. Mick really? Fo- Mick Foley is in here. I don't, sure. I don't know if you love Thomas Hayden Church, but whatever he's in anything, I love Thomas Hayden Church. Love wings. Thomas yeah. Hayden Church plays a wrestler in this movie, which is a lot of I fun. I did not he's realize wrestling was such a big cog of this. Perfect voice for it. Well, I mean, the Zach character is totally uh, into wrestling, huh. and he makes like a pilgrimage to go to a Florida wrestling school, and that's the whole thing. He breaks out of his, uh, his home, the state care home. Why is that not everywhere on the marketing for me? Specifically. Shia LaBeouf <laughs> is terrific in this, uh, and they mismarket it, I guess. But it is like this Mark Twain kind of road trip through the, the swamps and, and the bayous of Florida. I guess I can't use the word bayous, but you go through Florida. I, I loved it. It's 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 really heartfelt. It's the first of a few feel-good movies I have on my what We're Watching segment here. Now, I don't know if this is a feel-good movie for me, this next one, Angry Birds 2. But uh, I heard a lot of people on Twitter loving this film. Here's where I land. I am old. I don't get kids anymore. This is basically Pokemon all over again. I doubt that. I don't get it. Like, why don't these birds fly? Are they all too fat? And why don't they make it out like they're all too fat more often? They should be eating, you know, all the time. And that should be half the Fat birds, too. The fat birds. So they have to get into catapults instead of flying. You understand the game, yes? I've never played the game. So You've I never played Angry Birds? I've never played Angry Birds. Do you understand? You know what it is? No. Oh. There's why pigs. did you watch this movie? I don't know because it got 71%. That's why. The first one was, I guess, got terrible reviews. Right. I've never seen it, yeah. I don't think. And I watched this one because 71%. It was the best animated feature, you know, on the outskirts of that. It's climbing so it's, up to 73 now. Right. So I, th- I figured I got to watch this. My, my job to watch all these movies that are well-reviewed, I guess. But I watched it. I don't get it. I am a family guy person. So that I like that anecdotal right. humor. This movie's trying to, you know, make, you know, a joke every 10 seconds. Gotcha. And I'm laughing at zero of them. <laughs> it's not a good ratio. Well, I laughed at, like, two jokes. <laughs> In total, in the hour and a half, <laughs> so, still, still not a great ratio. Not a great <laughs> ratio. I watched Unicorn Score, uh, Unicorn Store, unicorn or Unicorn Score is where you get a lot of unicorns. Unicorn Scorn got a huge Unicorn Score. You're right, <laughs> Unicorn Scorn would have been a better movie, but this is Brie Larson's directorial debut. Yes, she's got talent. I, I will say that, not not just on the camera, but uh, I mean, she does some cool stuff in here. I don't get this movie either. It's it's not made for me at all. It's like a weekly like, acid trip for you. I don't know why you... Uh... Mike, there's a Samuel Jackson run unicorn store. Yeah. And well, naturally. Like in the reality of this movie. That's and what the, he does. The rest of this movie, she is just like, you know, dancing around sexual harassment bosses and oh, stuff. No. So there's like this tonal mess where she's dealing with is that. Is it like an escapism thing? That's what I thought it was going for, yeah. and then it didn't go for that. Yeah. I don't get it. Bottom line is I don't get it. So if you get Unicorn sco- Store, I can't say or that. Or if you've ever seen a Unicorn Scorn, or let us you, know that, yeah, too. If you have yeah. Scorn for Unicorns, right. let us know this week. So, yeah, I watched those couple for the first time. I rewatched a couple good movies for the best thing I watched this week, I think. Good Boys, Dolomite is My Name. I had such a fun time rewatching both of those. Yeah, those are a lot of fun. Uh, we Dolomite. have reviews on both of those out there. We did a we did a Dolomite yeah. OSP. We did a Good Boys uh, movie event podcast, and some of the funnest episodes we had this year. Smile from start to finish for both of those yeah. movies. So they're well worth the rewatch. I mean, Good Boys wasn't as funny upon rewatch. Well, it's one of those things. I feel like you it's better appreciated when you're around larger people that get to see right. it for the first time too. So I can understand. Dolomite that. was funnier. Good. I laughed. More That's impossible, by the way. You you <laughs> couldn't laugh more at a movie than you laughed in Dolomite when we went to see it. 
I didn't laugh at that scene that I laughed so hard at, though. That was like the strangest thing. You lost thing. it. That was amazing. But I, I did laugh a lot through those two rewatches. I, I got a, two quick audiobook reports. Go for it. I finished A Little Hatred by Joe Abercrombie. This, again, he is the first Lost series writer, does epic fantasy. Fifteen years ago, he started that series uh, with the first Lost series there. And now he's got a new trilogy, after a couple trilogies in between, with all the kids from the first trilogy of the parents and the parent and the, the characters from the first trilogy are the parents it's so damn good it's, hmm. it's a great story number one but it's also the coolest thing like i get goosebumps throughout this book because uh the ki- the parents are characters in this story but you don't know whose kids are whose because you know the the parents are named something else or they have a new title like the duke of whatever and you find out the duke of whatever is the uh, the character from the first books huh. and the son like you find all that stuff late like if this is a tv show it probably doesn't work right but as books it, it really works really interesting well. finally i read catch and kill by ronan farrow mike That's a little light reading 10 hours i, I read it i listened to it in two days like it is unstoppable the momentum of this book it's a whirlwind it's spellbinding he's a great writer he does all the voices of all the characters <laughs> so he's like, interesting he's he's flexing his performance muscles in the audiobook too so he's got I, it ingrained in his dna from mommy certainly this is obviously the story behind the harvey weinstein story the, yeah. the, the ronan farrow's expose with uh, a lot of uh Courageous women speaking out against Harvey Weinstein. It was, it was the second major story, but it was in, in much more detail than Ashley Judge's first story. Or, or it got Weinstein basically arrested. Let's just yeah, say. and Ronan Farrow's, I mean, he's certainly the guy right now that's kind of the leading investigator, I would say, in the country. He's certainly right. uh, in leading this charge that's starting kind of, or at least getting momentum, further momentum behind the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement, those types of things. He's certainly vilified by some people in power. I mean, you could understand why, because he seems to have a chip on his shoulder against people in power. Obviously, it's for reasons that he shows, but uh, yeah, that's something I definitely want to read at some point as well. You read something? Well, listen to, or have explained to me. Have explained to you. There (laughs) we go. Let's do a quick see-by-skip, Mike, on some things you like this week. Uh, We'll throw a book in there, too. Motherless Brooklyn, Peanut Butter Falcon, or A Little Hatred by Joe Abercrombie. See by skip those. Well, do you reread books? You don't read books anymore. No, I don't. But have you ever, like, read articles? Have you ever been, like, a rereader? Uh, of very few books, yes, but not, like, in general. Because I'm not. Like, yeah. I'm just such a story junkie, I need my new fix. This is you setting yourself up to say that you can skip the... But I I, could, I will read his next book. Okay. I will buy his... <laughs> I bought all of his books. I've read all of his books, except for the short story compilation, like, uh, Sharp Ends. Mm-hmm. But I, I read all of his other books. Uh, I think there's, like, 12 or 13 of them. This is Joe Abercrombie. Joe Abercrombie. Yeah. So, I, yeah, no, I can, with a clear conscience, say I'll skip Fair. rereading this I'll let book. that go. What were the other two? Motherless, Motherless Brooklyn and the Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh, see and buy. Oh, I'm buying the Motherless uh, Brooklyn. You liked it that much? I want to. I want to see it again. I might. Did wanna, Ed wanna... Norton get away with like? Was he fine? Yes, I think it is uh, compassionate in, in how okay. he puts it forth because it, it is something that really you know bogs him down in a lot of scenes. It's a little funny at times, but it's not in a mean way. It's, uh, I, I think it was compassionate. I was surprised. Okay, good. I, I hope. To hear that. Yeah. And a lot of people have spoken out that they really feel right. that they relate to it, that suffer from I'm the so surprised the at that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, good. Well, nice to hear that. All right. I would watch Peanut Butter Falcon, though, again, too. As I have scene. to see Peanut Butter Falcon. Now. Yeah, you like my, it. Uh, I, didn't, I don't have much for as what we're watching. It was kind of a typical not watching much week for me. I had a little well, free time. You watch all the wrestling and the reality TV. I didn't even watch wrestling. I mean, no. WWE's been horrible. This you week, watch this college football week. and pro football. <laughs> Mike, I know. I didn't. I watched Polygon on YouTube. You, you I watched, watched people playing board games a lot. <laughs> That's what I watched for like my free time this week. There's people. There's like a Polygon channel. It's a channel called Polygon. They had like this network. Will Wheaton used to do a show yeah. called Tabletop, which was him and his famous friends playing board games. This is a version of that, and it's just people playing board games. Which and board games? Them. Are they playing Monopoly? Uh, no, no, no. Like, uh, like Betrayal at House on Haunted Hill, which is one of my favorite board games. They played that. They played uh, Cash and Guns was like their latest episode. Uh, Brendan Lee Mulligan was in a couple episodes with them, actually, huh. playing a game called Skull and playing a game called Coup. So, uh, yeah, that's my life. That's what I did. <laughs> 
but I did watch one movie. I actually I watched I watched three this week. Uh, I, I had two on the background, two classic horror movies. Is when I was editing. Uh, I think MMO Weekly last week uh, mm -hmm. uh, for last Monday. House on Haunted Hill from 1959 and Dracula from 1931. The classics because I don't think I've ever actually sat through the Universal horrors. Okay. Oh, I didn't really watch them to grade them. I just had them on as like background noise as I was going through stuff. So Vincent Price is a unique talent. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's worth the price of admission in House on Haunted Hill, from what I remember. But it's it is the least scary movie ever, correct? Uh, yeah, it's tough to watch now. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where it's like even Halloween from nineteen seventy eight. If you're watching it to be scared, you're probably not going to be. Sure. It's it's but if you put yourself in the mindset of the time, you see what he's. I mean, there's one scene in House on Haunted Hill where they use an actual like buy at Target skeleton. And that's, you know, that's the big scare. So, like, yeah, it's tough to take that seriously. But, like, if you put yourself in the mindset, they were doing a lot of cutting-edge stuff at the time, and you could certainly see. And they do a great job with atmosphere and ambiance. I mean, it's creepy mm -hmm. as shit. Mm -hmm. Dracula especially accomplishes that, which was made even 26, 28 years before House on Haunted Hill there. So, uh, I, I definitely, there's a reason these are such beloved properties and such beloved horror properties, and I kind of want to work my way through all the universal horror monsters. But um, the one big thing, the one modern thing, I did watch this week. I asked for suggestions. I, I had a little time. What should I watch? Put that on Twitter. Right. I had a lot of great suggestions. I yeah, have you crushed it with I the Twitter watch. questions this week. Uh, people people have been them. asking, answering yeah. our, our best of 2019 questions, which I really appreciate. It's been a lot of fun for me to, to read through. But Scott Feinberg suggested I watch uh, Searching for Sugarman, which is not something oh, I ever watched. Good. So I watched it. I was not ready to feel the emotions I yes! felt when that song caused because I lost my job two weeks before Christmas. Right. And then we have the, the story of the guy explaining how Sugarman lost his job two weeks before Christmas. I was already to be happy and now you're making me oh sad. Oh my God. Yeah, you're sad. <laughs> I was a bumbling mess when I watched it. I was not prepared for that. I have it now downloaded on my iTunes. I, I watch it. That was I listen to it. top five movie of that year for me. It was so good. Oh, it's it just heartbreaking. Yeah. And then it's, you know, this is a story of, not even redemption, it's just like success at the well, end. Watch Searching for Sugar Yeah, Man, absolutely. Folks. Highly, highly recommend. I gave it an 86, 87 uh, as good. far as the movie goes. It's good. very high grade. I Love that movie, and I, I thank everyone for their suggestions. Thanks, Scott Feinberg, for searching for Sugarman's suggestion. Thank everyone else again, like we just said, for answering our best of 2019 questions. I'm trying to put out one question per day until the new year just to see what people's thoughts are of the best of 2019. You're going to be inundated with other people's thoughts as far as, like, these are the best movies of the decade because I say so. So I want to hear from everybody else instead of us pushing that. We're having a blast yeah. reading those. And it's sparking a ton of great conversation, too. So, yeah, keep that up and let us know, and you'll change our minds too I mean, yeah i've been reading stuff and people have been making some good points i'm like yeah that's yeah i, I get I, it absolutely co-sign there's a lot of stuff that's there's, there's a couple that's been like shocking to me I'm like oh really <laughs> okay <laughs> tell so, me more yeah yes. exactly so I, i'm hoping that we'll keep that up and people will keep uh answering and responding you guys have been great and speaking of other audience interaction stuff we'll move into six degrees of mmo that we had for this week we had fade dunaway going to chris tucker that was the chain and we had a lot of people doing the efficiency route Yes, the efficiency awards are coming, but I did want to shout out this bunch that did it in three. Yeah. Beyond the box set, Kate at Captain Hangry, the Nomcast there, Andrew at Nomcast Pod, Jack Mayer, JMay658, the Cinema Guys at the Cinema Guys Recasted Podcast at Recasted Podcast, Howard Ratner at Hayden underscore Petty. I think Howard Ratner is his new screen name for the Adam Sandler character in Uncut Gems. Oh. Because he was Ephraim Winslow for a while from The Lighthouse. <laughs> You're right. Yes. So I think Howard Ratner. I'm yes. guessing. I don't know. I'm not going to look it up either. But okay. We also had The Cloudy Critic. We also had Dark Nook Shop. They all did it in three and just, you know, they're, they're masters of their craft in their own right. I wanted to shout them out. Yes, very worthy to shout them out. Great job by all of them. We also have four other efficiency awards that we're going to give out this week, uh, I guess, to three people because one is two separate entries from someone yeah. because people, look, we keep trying to trick you guys and we just can't do it. So you're, you're too good. So here's some efficiency award winners. The first one will go to Nolan Roberts at Nolan Roberts 17. Chris Tucker once asked, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And we can clearly understand the words coming out of Faye Dunaway's <laughs> mouth. So there's that link. Yeah, it made me laugh. <laughs> That's so true. 
That's so funny. Uh, we also had Wojciech Weishor, frequent flyer here. He gave us two entries that we appreciated both of. Chris Tucker is a friend of Steve Harvey who mistakenly crowned the wrong Miss Universe. Faye Dunaway naturally was involved in a similar mistake during Oscars when she announced that La La Land had won Best Picture and Moonlight actually did. The pandering, but we love them both so much. Uh, Wojciech also said Chris Tucker was nominated for Razzie Awards Worst New Star for his performance in The Fifth Element. Huh. And Money Talks in 1998, which we entirely disagree with. <laughs> uh, the same year as Faye Dunaway was nominated in Worst Supporting Actress at the Razzies for her role in Kevin Spacey's directorial debut, Albino Alligator. That is a loaded sentence. <laughs> <laughs> All Insane. Right. Like, all of that stuff is Razzie sounding. Yes. Let's say that for sure. But Chris Tucker in The Fifth Element is. is I asked this great. as a spinoff question yeah. Is Chris Tucker in The Fifth Element endearing or annoying? It was annoying at time. No, it was good. You yeah. liked it all? I liked it. A lot of people did not like it that responded to the question when I asked it on Twitter. They were really? not they were not fans of it. I happen to think it's endearing as well, but I can see certainly. I think it was designed to be an annoying character. I think that's the whole yes. premise of it. When so. he's screaming amidst all the hellfire <laughs> right. that's going on, it's hilarious. <laughs> Mark Burgundy at the one Hanson, Faye Dunaway, was in Anonymous Rex with Isaac Hayes whose version of Walk On By was used in Dead Presidents, which starred Chris Tucker. Dead Presidents does not get talked about enough and that's very clever using uh, you know uh, Isaac Hayes yeah. who's also a song in a Chris Tucker movie that's very good very efficient this week people we, were so efficient we can't fool anyone anymore now the David Lynch award is going to be split into two twin peaks again the mm -hmm. right peak here is from Oliver Hetherington Page at a twist of Oliver Faye Dunaway famously and wrongly read out that La La Land who had won best picture one award that La La Land rightfully won was best director <laughs> making Damien Chazelle the youngest ever Best Director winner. Now, the youngest ever Best Director nominee was John Singleton, R.I.P., from Boys in the Hood. And, of course, Boys in the Hood features a leading role for Ice Cube, who co-wrote the 1995 film Friday, which starred Chris Tucker. I mean, he roofed it back to the film that we started this whole this, link off with, with yes. Friday, because of John Witherspoon's passing last week. Great job there by Oliver Hetherington Page. Bill Brasky weighs in once again. This is the left peak of the David Lynch Twin Peaks Award. Bill, at Bill Brasky, 2620 Dunaway was in Dunstan Checks In, which I had forgotten existed, directed by Ken Quapis, who also did Sesame Street Presents Follow That Bird. I can't believe this. <laughs> Frank Oz, who played Burt Grover and Cookie. Cookie Monster. <laughs> in that movie, directed the movie The Score with Robert De Niro. De Niro was in Silver Linings Playbook with Chris Tucker. Kind of a comeback movie for Chris Tucker there. You ever seen The Score? I have seen the score. You ever it's not heard good. The, the production stories about how Marlon Brando did not want to be in the score? And yet he's in the score. Yeah. Like, you, couldn't you just not be in the score? <laughs> like, what is he doing? Marlon Brando was not a man that gave directors easy times in his latter performances. No, that's for sure. But Dunstan checks in. Was that a movie you watched as a kid? I did. Of course. Yeah, you yeah. have to, right? Isn't that one of the, the seminal growing up movies? But very, very clever from Bill Bratsky there. All through filmmakers for the most part. That was awesome. Now, the theme of the week. This is going to be its own segment, probably, because we have to give this man his own segment. He's basically becoming the third host. Uh, yeah, he's doing a tremendous job. This week's theme of the week from Dark Nook Shop was rock, paper, scissors, because these <laughs> questions are not difficult enough for him. He has to make a theme of the week, and uh, just to tip of the cap. <laughs> Faye Dunaway was in Supergirl from 1984 with Matt Frewer. Frewer was in Watchmen with Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Morgan is Negan, uh, quote, rock. <laughs> In The Walking Dead yeah. with Norman Reedus. Reedus is an 8mm with Joaquin Phoenix. I forgot Joaquin Phoenix was in that movie. Anyway, so Phoenix is a Joker. Scissors. Yep. <laughs> wow. With Robert De Niro. De Niro's in What Just Happened with Bruce Willis. Willis is in Red 2 with Byung-Hun Lee. Paper. I don't know. I don't know that reference. I've never seen. He's got the uh, yeah. I can see origami. It, yeah, I, this, the origami. this is also what's interesting about this. Dark Nook actually gave us the stills of these characters using, utilizing the, the rock, weapons. paper, and scissors. They're using yes. the weapons. So <laughs> Negan uses a rock. We got uh, paper from Young Hun Lee, and we got scissors, of course, from that lunatic. <laughs> 
who also <laughs> acted in the movie Joker. And where am I? So we came out of paper from Byung-Hung Lee. Now uh, Willis was also in The Fifth Element with Chris Tucker. That's Damn. a beautiful job by Dark Knight. My God. That also might be the book of the week, too. That was a long one. And Wojciech actually said sliding in there with a gift response, calling him the master. Oh, that was, that was one of the funniest laughs I had all week. And I laughed at a lot of things this week, but David Tennant saying master in that gift was so funny. Killed me. <laughs> Nolan Roberts, we're also going to highlight as another person that had two entries today we're talking about because this is the one that we just couldn't resist. Couldn't Faye Dunaway it. accidentally called the wrong movie when introducing the Academy Award for Best Picture back in 2017, host at the Oscars, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. Kimmel, who has a famous rivalry with Matt Damon, who was in Good Will Hunting, produced by Lawrence Bender, who also produced Jackie Brown, which featured Chris Tucker. And of course, we just spent all our summer right. talking about Lawrence Bender and Quentin Tarantino movies. And nailing the Kimmel to Damon <laughs> You know, feud as the centerpiece of that. That's just perfect. So great job. But uh, the winner this week has to go to Movie Geek and Proud. And I think that at MGNP podcast mm -hmm. is is fitting for this week as a winner because everybody was so efficient. We had so many efficiency mentions this week because we had to. Yeah. Colby Mack immediately decreed this was the winner when it happened. And I think I agree with him. So in a super efficient I'm way. I'm going to start singing, but go ahead. So in a super non-efficient way, I have to g give that preamble, but here we go. Faye Dunaway was in Don Juan DeMarco, 1994, with Marlon Brando, who was in the music video Rock My World, my world you know you didn't, yeah. with Chris w Tucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, that's that? facts. That's a great job. That's not something I would have ever imagined we were going down the Michael Jackson music video route. Marlon Brando and Chris Tucker were in that music video. Marlon Brando and, and Michael Jackson had like this weird friendship. Mm. That like because I think it was I remember hearing like Brando really just loved the music of Michael Jackson so he actually like picked up the phone and called him one day I remember hearing and they like had this kinship and that's how he got in the music video for Rock My We Rock My World was Tucker and MJ uh, friends were they friends too or did yes you? they because because I know he did an impression of him. he did the impression and then Chris Tucker had a famous stand up bit how Michael Jackson called him afterwards huh. and basically said you're kicking with the wrong leg. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Yes, yeah, so that is a very worthy winner this week. Movie Geek and Proud. Great job by everybody. Yes. Blowing this one out of the water. I thought it would be one of the more obscure ones, but like always, you guys never cease to impress us. Uh, Movie Geek and Proud, you are the winner, and you own all bragging rights to all things Six Degrees of MMO this week. We started last week with a new chair for November. Uh, we have the mashed potato chair compacted in there nicely. <laughs> That's the, right. Yeah. I was <laughs> the, the cranberry accents yeah. on it. We're yeah. feeding you Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Dinner, right. While you sit on this big mound of mashed potatoes. Mike is handing you just like turkey, all the fixings and stuff, but I just keep coming with spoonfuls of gravy to, <laughs> to put in your mouth. There. So you've gained a quick 15 pounds. This is a bad month for somebody to win the chair that's on like a diet or a health kick. Right, but I, and I'm good at, I'm cheating. I'm eating the Thanksgiving right. dinner on the side because I've been on a diet for two months and you just I've can't resist. I'm yeah. going off of it. And yes, and Michael, one more thing. Uh, I, I, the gravy wasn't enough? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're also feeding you gravy. That's, that's, that's basically how our improvs are going to go now. We feed you one thing in one week. Yeah, this, the next th week, we feed you another This thing. chair this month is probably going to get gross. <laughs> let's, let's just be honest. Let's just call it spade as week. We'll make up for it in December. But right. congratulations once again, Movie Geek and Proud. Winner of this week, Six Degrees of MMO. Thank you for everyone who did participate. Michael, what is the challenge for next week? So we got a Bad Boys for Life trailer coming up that bow, we're going to review. There's some stories about Martin Lawrence this week mm -hmm. uh, coming out of retirement and then retiring <laughs> in the movie, I guess, which is uh, very ironic. So Martin Lawrence to another big story that we have coming up yeah. uh, from the rise of Skywalker about Carrie Fisher. And I think that could be fun for some folks. Martin Lawrence to Carrie Fisher. Have at it. Yeah, do, do your best, do your worst. doesn't have to be six degrees. It could be as many or as few as you want. The more obscure, the more creative, the more music videos with Marlon Brando's, the better. We'll be giving you yams <laughs> next week in addition to dinner and gravy in between your food consumption, I guess. 
<laughs> so that is your challenge for the next week. We'll move quickly to a quick box office update. Uh, we're still kind of getting the numbers in for a lot of stuff here, so we're just going to gloss over what we do have. But Parasite got to the $11 million mark domestically. Uh, that's going to finish as the highest grossing international feature of the year in the U.S. It also was putting this on the cusp. It's going to finish within the top 20, but it's on the cusp right now of the top 20 highest American grossing international features ever made. And it's just starting still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it hasn't even expanded that far yet. So Parasite's probably going to top the list at the end of it all. It's building a very, well, it's, it's got to get over 100. I mean, I think the Crouching Tiger is number one with like 126. Oh, so. So, yeah, okay. it's, it, it, right. it'll get, the, but it's. I should research. <laughs> but. It's only building a best picture resume. That's all it's doing right now. That's I mean, my true. personal feelings about it aside, it's got hitting the hallmarks of something that could win best picture. And worldwide, it's been super profitable. Yeah. It's it's flying past 100 million, so that's quite the accomplishment. Sure is. Midway surprisingly got the number one spot at the box office this week. Kind of an upset, beating out Doctor Sleep. Pulls in around 17 and a half million, despite a rotten 41 percent RT rating right there. Doctor Sleep will finish second, despite all its relative praise, pretty much universally. Sure. It's kind of second at the box office it's between 14 and 15 million the direct uh, the exact number is not out there yet it's kind of different depending on where you look but that's still a bit of a step up i mean it's disappointing for a debut for dr sleep based on what the projection was at the original but based on friday's numbers mm -hmm. they thought this would only do about 12 million it's going to finish between 14 and 15 like i said so it looked like it got some momentum throughout the weekend but not a lot i wonder if the runtime hurt it yeah i, I wonder if it's gonna just hold fairly well regardless i think the budget was something like 55 million, 45 to 55 million. So, okay. it, you know, if it does like, I mean, typically in that first week, you know, you get during the week what you got on the weekend, if not more. Mm. So, you know, it's probably going to be over 40 million after its first week domestically. So that means it's probably going to match that overseas. And then there's a, you know, there's a way where it keeps get going up. So it's probably going to make 140 million, which is somewhat profitable for that. You're talking at least worldwide break it, there. Yeah, at least yeah. breaking yeah. even at the end of the day. So I, I wouldn't doom Dr. Sleep necessarily. I'm surprised by Midway. I'm happy yeah. for patriotic folks who want to see a patriotic movie. I, that's great. Uh, I don't like the director involved yeah, here. Yeah, not me either. I don't like his work, number yeah. one. And I really get skeeved out by all those stories out in the last year about the sex parties with young teenage boys. Yeah, not crazy about any of that all myself. That but that's a very, you know, Midway, taking that aside, the Midway is a very dad movie. Veterans Day, yeah. typical war movie. So it makes sense, but I, I, it's still kind of a surprise that something like Dr. Sleep, Mike Flanagan kind of building his resume as a esteemed horror director here. People, it's a very difficult property to adapt and then have it fit the Shining universe. I've seen it already, yeah. and we're, we're going to review it in some way, shape, or form coming up. Yep. Uh, I think uh, it, it's very strong, solid. I'm a little mixed on some things, but uh, yeah, I look forward to talking about that, which you're coming up. The only last piece of box office news here, last week, you all saw it, Joker officially became the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. Also the most profitable comic book movie ever made. It's going to march closer to the $1 billion mark as it brought in another $9-plus million on its sixth weekend out in theaters. The most uh, profitable R-rated comic book movie ever made right no it's it's the, the most profitable as far as like profit to or revenue to budget oh so because like endgame was made for 40 bajillion dollars and That's then it true. made 70 quad billion right right but so, the ratio exactly this is this is about math <laughs> right terms that i've heard and not learned before exactly okay i'm a dumbass all those numbers according to box office pro uh we'll move on here we have a couple trailers that surprised us this week we'll cover those Got a new look at a new Invisible Man trailer starring Elizabeth Moss. The premise, the Invisible Man, but this time it's under the guise of a domestic abuser tormenting his victim after seemingly faking his death, I guess? Mm -hmm. I think uh, this is brilliant. If you're going to get a remake yeah. of a storyline and you're going to modernize that, then if you give it some gravitas with a timely Current social issues. Current yeah. social issue that you weave into the plot as this 
strange kind of hook. Yeah. I can't believe they're accomplishing all these things at once. I get, I tip my hat. Yeah, I'm with you. I had zero in. Well, I mean, when I saw they were making another Invisible Man, I was like, oh God, no. Right. Uh, even though I love the appeal of Elizabeth Moss was a lot to get me in there anyway. But seeing this, I was kind of blown away. I had no interest in seeing this beforehand, and now I can't wait to see it. Which is, I mean, tip of the cap, like you said, to Universal. Lee Wanell, he's probably best known as being the guy from the first room in the first Saw movie. That's not right. Carrie Elwes. Well, he goes a long way back with James Wan. They're best buds. There you film go. School. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. He also directed Insidious Chapter 3, which got up to about 11 times its budget worldwide in 2015. So he has success in front of and behind the camera when it comes to horror movies. Like I said, Elizabeth Moss, I can't wait. I'm glad to see her getting her horror reps. And she looks like someone who's losing her grip on reality in these shots. She can carry this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when we talked about the casting. We're like, well, why can't she just, you know be in a different movie like why why is this the film she picks especially in horror right. after her smell but based on this framework i guess i'm kind of being a dumbass or i was a dumbass then i'm still a dumbass now <laughs> because i should have got this if you have an invisible man then the other person who's not invisible has to carry the movie right yeah i mean the kevin sense. bacon adaptation that was still a very kevin bacon movie you know, he was all that, over it. That was dumb, though, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. Because he was invisible for more than half the yes. movie. So you're saying if you want a successful adaptation. Do you want a successful right. adaptation? <laughs> Probably a fair point. it actually makes sense to put the, uh, you know, the money behind the actress doing the non-invisible role. <laughs> and she's killing it. I mean, from what I can see in these films, I mean, she looks like a genuinely terrified, relatable. I'm sure there's going to be all kinds of blunt and subtextual analogies and metaphors for, like you said, the current issue of domestic abuse which this, is finally kind of being taken seriously this, as it should this trailer was so creepy like there are like 10 moments not five there are 10 moments yeah. where i am just like totally just got the shutters from and the taunting nature of this yep. villain that's going to be some scary stuff absolutely agree i i can't wait i genuinely i had zero interest in another right. invisible man movie and in. now i cannot wait to see this i'm, I'm very you. excited to see that Wendy, speaking of adaptations going a little sideways here, the premise, a twist on the Peter Pan story mixed with some Lord of the Flies type background. So Ben Zaleton made a terrific Oscar-nominated film, Beast of the Southern Wild. I don't nah, know if I haven't I seen it. You saw it. Name right. Uh, now, this movie's coming out in January, and that's kind of what irks me the most. Mm -hmm. This has been long gestating this property. He got lucky... I mean, we could just say he did get lucky with Covenza A. Wallace. Mm. She's an Oscar-nominated kid actress who carried the last movie he did, even though it was visually spectacular. This movie seems to be visually strong as well, but this story is going to be dependent on those child actors making this believable. That's yeah. a dubious proposition based on this trailer, in my opinion. Those kids, are some of them are hanging tough, but some of them uh, like gave me some awkward moments because they're not... I mean, they're, they're all new actors, so I don't know how good they are. Right. They really got to be good to pull this it's a legitimate, off. It's a legitimate concern and worry. But let me say, if if, if this is what January and February is going to turn into... The high-risk movies kind yeah, of deal? Yeah, like, the, if you're going to have retellings, fine, but they're retellings with, like, a twist or a different perspective or mm -hmm. a different lens mm -hmm. or, like, to fit modern societal issues, that type of thing. Because we're getting kind of... You know, we're getting kind of the dealing with loneliness in this, and obviously Peter Pan's a story about growing up and being a kid, having kid issues and all that. And so if this is like what January and February is going to turn into, I'm more okay with that than just putting out these D-rated horror flicks and the also-ran adaptations and that type of thing. Why not give us, if you're not going to give us wholly original properties, why not give us original takes on old properties? Well, I like Neverland without the theme park feel here. Mm. I think that's cool, and it is a realistic version of that. I don't know if I like how many dangerous things these realistic kids look to be doing. I mean, they're standing <laughs> on moving trains. Yeah. They're jumping off cliffs into water. They're jumping off boats into water. They're just, you know, high-fiving mermaids in the water. They're, this worries me. Like, I, I, what would Mr. Rogers say to this movie, Michael? I just, I, look, I, I get you it. You don't need to go train surfing. <laughs> don't go train surfing. If it looks that real and the kids are just wearing rotty T-shirts yeah. instead of, you know costumes like peter pan costumes it's a little more difficult but if it's made for you know toys r us kids who don't want to grow up like you and i 
maybe it's it doesn't matter. That's interesting. I wonder what the uh, you know what the targeted demographic for this because this is not a kids movie, but it's certainly a you know kids are getting a lot of the the screen time and it seems like it could be attractive to children. I got to get something off my chest here. Mm-hmm. Never been a Peter Pan fan. In okay. any adaptation. So not even, you know, Hook as a kid or Finding Neverland as an adult. Which I've lived have. this lie for years about Hook. <laughs> because everybody loves it and loves saying Rufio. So here's the thing. Like, as a young child, <laughs> yeah. I watched Hook and loved it. As an older person, I tried to. I think I tried to show Hook to my younger brother. Yeah. Who was watching The Matrix at four. Right. You, you know, spoiled. so I've hardened his soul right. at a young age. <laughs> and he was watching some evil stuff at a very young age. Mm-hmm. We were like 14 years apart. So that's my fault. Mm-hmm. And then thinking like the Mighty Ducks or Hook would warm his heart and, and he would enjoy it, no chance. Did he, he not made, like Hook at all? No, not only did he not like it, he made fun of me ruthlessly for years <laughs> because I did like it as a, as what he called me. He called me a Melvin. You must have been a Melvin when you were that young. You must. I would want to beat you up as that. <laughs> well, I can I can relate to I I've never, I mean, I, I went along with it. it was, Rufio was such a big thing like throughout my high school years and too, like, I just never have had the appeal for the story. I don't like just. Did you watch it as a young grow child? up, people? <laughs> Did you watch it as a young child? Yes, I, I watched the Disney adaptation. I've seen Finding Neverland. I've seen the Hulk. Obviously, it just stop it. But you didn't like that. You know, Maggie Smith played an older Wendy, and Robin Williams was no, like a, and Julia Roberts, a dad with the kids. Julia Roberts was a bitch's tink too, by the way. In Hook, yeah. she was not nice. Dustin Hoffman <laughs> was great in that, and Shmee was yeah, funny. Yeah. Shmee, Shmee, I, the Shmee relationship is what I—that's I, I, the only thing I did a like. Couple yeah. weeks ago. Shmee, don't try and stop me. Shmee, yeah. don't try and stop. Yeah, that I liked, but the whole never growing up, like, if, uh, deal with it. It's reality, people. Wow, you are <laughs> cynical in your elder, I've been jaded by life. <laughs> Look back, <laughs> retrospective. Glad I got that off my chest in this trailer <laughs> review segment. Bad Boys for Life, its second trailer came out, and the premise for this is bow, 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 And we're canceled, folks. <laughs> we're canceled, self-canceling ourselves right now. <laughs> we got a little more plot here, at least. We get to actually see that Will Smith has to kind of, like, be the babysitter right. for this young cop, I guess, underground cop group. So the only thing that matters to me is that mm-hmm. Martin Lawrence made me laugh like three times really heartily in this trailer. <laughs> it just feels good to laugh at Martin Lawrence jokes. Sure. And I don't want to spoil those jokes. Go watch the trailer. But it got me three times, especially the last scene, and I'm, I'm in for that. I was shocked this isn't a Michael Bay movie like right. the other two. It looks like it one, looks huh? Well, yes, because everything's exploding. Well, but the, <laughs> even the cinematography does. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, and it's a lot of nightlife shots and... My, I mean, this is... How many action movie tropes can you fit into one trailer? Oh, you wrote a bunch of them down. <laughs> one last time, one last time. <laughs> Jumping away from explosions onto these chinky yeah. ladders that yeah. are dropped from helicopters. What do you mean I gotta mentor these young, unruly cops who I'll eventually find common ground with because they'll inevitably remind me of a younger version of myself when I was first starting, except for the one that's going to naturally be in line with the bad guys all along and turn on us. Like, it's all there. Yeah. This is like a cookie cutter but there's movie. there's a helicopter falling into a dome. <laughs> yes, and there it is looks that. like... It looks great. With It has great VFX. They do. Yes. And it's stunning VFX. Cinematography's good. Yes. And you have this irresistible buddy cop movie. Mm-hmm. This formula that's worked so well twice already. And you have Martin Lawrence being funny again. I think they're going to sell six digits worth of Porsches out of this thing. They're going to sell like 100,000 Porsches. And that should be included car? in the box, box office. Yeah. <laughs> Porsche should have to you know report their earnings after this movie because that Porsche car, in the trailer alone. The Porsche company is pre-Bad Boys 3 and post-Bad Boys I 3. I think so. <laughs> that blue Porsche. Don't you want that blue Porsche like now? I want nothing to do with this movie. In the movie, they're like, it's, this is better than the Batmobile, right? It's better than the Batmobile. <laughs> And I'm going to see it, and I'm going to like it, just like the first two. I watch Bad Boys 2 a bunch, uh, but I just, this is, I hate myself sometimes. You just killed your childhood and yeah. all the wonder you had in childhood. Now you're killing your young adult. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is a difficult episode for you so far. That song from Finding for Searching for Sugar Man really ruined me. <laughs> it did. I don't blame you for, for being ruined by that song, but... 
This is disturbing. Let's go and finish up with a Do You Care segment. care segment. This is where we take other news stories of the week and we ask each other, do we, should we, or will we care about them? The way we start every do you care segment is I ask Michael here, I guess if we're doing an action movie trope, it'll be my uh, my reluctant partner that we're going to do one last try stop and crime with, even though we're getting too old for this shit. We're too old for this shit. <laughs> Michael here, about this week's uh, theatrical releases and VOD releases. This week, Michael, we have a big week. It's kicking off for us. Charlie's Angels, Ford v. Ferrari, The Good Liar, all going wide. We also have The Warrior Queen of Jonzy, Scandalous, The Untold Story of the National Enquirer, and Everybody's Everything, as well as Waves, opening limited. The obvious answers are Ford v. Ferrari, The Good Liar, and Waves. Yes. I've been down on the Charlie's Angels uh, trailers. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's tracking very well either. A couple of those limited releases are intriguing. Uh, I'll get back to you on that. Last week, we had Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I, I will be honest with you. After Angry Birds 2, I was going to put this on, and then I was rattled. Mm. Because, like, how much more can I be different than <laughs> right. the, the younger generation? I was worried. <laughs> like, am I just going to watch Pokemon, Angry Angry Birds 2 and Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Mm. And, I, and the fact that I don't even get the nostalgia of, like, you know, teenagers who became 20-somethings who right. love those properties. Right. It's, it just worries me. And I, I, pro I probably will watch something like Official Secrets instead, which is about whistleblowing. In Great I, I do want to see I that. I want to see that. But Maybe we're just combine the two and have yeah. Dora the Whistleblower. We're seeing Ford v. Ferrari this week. We hope to review that with a guest next weekend, so you'll get it earlier the, the following week, folks. Yeah. So that, that's on the schedule right now. But uh, I, I'm worried about the segment as a whole because I'm worried about what pillar of your belief system is going to topple next. We'll see. Colin Farrell, Mike. <laughs> I'm on edge just as much as you are about it. <laughs> Colin Farrell is in talks to play the Penguin, and Andy Serkis is cast as Alfred Pennyworth and Matt Reeves the Batman. I've never been happy. <laughs> no. Uh, so I'm not the biggest Colin Farrell guy. Um, yeah. I do think this would be a refreshing and unique take on the Chester Cobblepot character because he's not being stereotyped. But not if it's casted. cool, Penguin. Well, I don't I, want cool. You things. don't want that. I, I I like different. I like originality. So I wouldn't mind. I and mean, I've never had the suave-looking cobblepot. I want funny Irish penguin. <laughs> Just be funny and Irish, Colin Farrell, and let's go with that. You want the in Bruges penguin? Yeah. yeah. All right. Wouldn't you? Maybe. Yeah. Sure. Why not? I'm fine with that. I just I hope they don't like fat him, up, shorten and fat him up. I don't want to see that. Oh, oh yeah, I do. Don't. <laughs> okay. What are you talking about? No, you don't want to see. We've a seen it already. Fat, short. <laughs> Irish funny penguin. We've seen it. I mean, just cast Danny DeVito again if you want that. <laughs> I have concerns about the Batman. Yeah. Are they going too much Sam Raimi Spider-Man 3 here? I mean, this is now our third villain. I guess Catwoman maybe two and a half villains, but we yeah. have to have a new Catwoman. We have a new Penguin. We have a new Riddler. And I hope they're not trying to stuff them all in as one-offs in this movie. So looking back at the history of superhero films, they... With the Batmans and the X-Men's, they kind of did more villains, obviously. The and goofy, over-the-top takes, yeah. Right. That's where you can do it. And then with Spider-Man's and a couple of the new Batmans, Nolan Batmans, they kind of went more towards, you know, focus on one right. villain. The MCU's been a little bit of both. I think... We, this is like cyclical. There's like a formula for a, a multi-villain storyline, and there's a formula for the, you know, the the, the focus mono e mono storyline. I uh, I think you could do both well, right? You can have Batman and Robin, but you you can also have Batman Returns. Sure, but I think I mean I don't know if there's a lot of examples where introducing more than two baddies kind of has success. I mean, we've seen movies falter by trying to stuff too many characters and too much exposition in for those characters into a scene. Like, Justice League comes to mind, obviously. Spider-Man 3, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man 3. If you're trying to take too many bad guys or even good guys and just try to, like, dump them all into one thing, I hope there's world-building in this. I hope one of these three right. bad guys, the, the Paul Dano's Riddler, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman, or now Colin Farrell's Penguin, I hope one of them isn't in this movie that much right. and is kind of setting up to be the bad guy in a sequel or a spinoff or something. Something. like I don't need to see Batman capably handle all three of these baddies and just get ready for the Joker in the sequel. 
I think something like Into the Spider-Verse, which obviously shows you a huge swath of heroes and villains, Mm -hmm. but there's also a focus on a few on each side. Right. Something like that does it well. Obviously, some Avengers movies, do, you know, you get the whole ensemble take on it. But Black Panther, you know, you do, you got a lot of MCU movies that give you the formula. So I don't know what he's going to be doing here. If it's going to be in more of an old school effort like a Batman Returns, that, that's kind of the sweet spot, right? Well, what you're saying about the MCU worries me because you do, like they have perfected that formula, but, the but they League. have, yeah, exactly. The MCU has a decade and twenty some odd films. Mm-hmm. to build that up and rely on it with. And the Justice League tried to copy yeah. that blueprint without having that kind of lineage, and it flopped. It flopped, because you didn't have the two hours and 20 the minutes. The yeah, exactly. So pre- From previous films. And this new Batman, you gotta, you got to establish a new Bruce Wayne, you have to establish a new Alfred, you have to establish new criminal and villain motivations. You have to basically reintroduce Gotham. What's your tone going to be for this franchise going forward? I mean, there's a lot to do on top of now having three bad guys trying to foil Batman. And it can work in a Joel Schumacher type way. If you want to make this the over-the-top comedy, that I think that is easier to pull off, but I don't think Zoe Kravitz and Robert Pattinson and Colin, well, maybe Colin Farrell, but, and, and other Paul Dana are signing up for that type of movie. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not worried, though, necessarily, because I've seen precedent for the films okay. in the past that have done well. You have faith. I, I think Matt Reeves is a good filmmaker, too. I do, too. I, I do, too. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. But and I'm these are, this is a great cast yeah. so far. So I'll believe it's bad when I see it. Okay, fair enough. Well, we'll see how that goes. The next story here, Michael Quentin Tarantino said Crawl may be his favorite movie of 2019. All right, so if he was being classy, he would have said The Irishman is his favorite movie. There's no way he was going to say that. If he was being snarky, he'd have said, like, Avengers Endgame, because he rivals The Irishman. Boy, that would have been great. But this is why he can't even win with me, with what he says here, because, (laughs) come on, man. You're going to pick, like, uh, a crowd-pleasing slash awesomely bad film like Crawl, which a lot of people love, yeah. which I enjoyed mm-hmm. and gave a sound B85 when I saw it. I, I laughed at some of the, you know, the build-up, the fact that she's a swimmer for the Florida Gators <laughs> running away from Gators. Do you get it? Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> phenomenally, awesomely bad. I think this is him trying to be like the cool kid making a pick here. I don't know. Like, why... The more I think about his Oscar campaigning, the more I th- think he should just shut up and go away. <laughs> and that, that, if I'm rooting for him, and I am a fan of his, and, and we're rooting for him to win the awards this Oscar season, just shut up and go away. I just... happen to think he's just trolling. Like, that's what I, I genuinely think he's just trolling. I saw people that were still mad about mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was just a, a self-indulged uh, overexposure of, of feet porn. It's like, Genuinely, I think those shots of the feet in that movie were there because he was trolling you. Yes. You know, like, I I think at this point he's just over us (laughs) and he doesn't care what we have to say and he's purposefully gaslighting. 100%. Yeah. So I I think that's where this answer comes from. Though, Crawl, I haven't seen it, but you liked it and a lot of people do like it. A lot of people like it for good reason. It's a good movie. Uh, Mike, the CGI has gotten out of control. It is basically Skynet at this point <laughs> because we are going to have a computer-generated James Dean to appear in a Vietnam War movie coming out called Finding Jack. Yeah, and a lot of people are not happy about that. We had a couple other news stories that followed this on out when the announcement was made. So, like Mike just said, this is for a Vietnam War movie. It's called Finding Jack. It's set to be directed by Anton Ernst and Tati Goldick. And my apologies if I mispronounced that name. A man and woman, neither of whom I know much about or have much experience anyway, according to IMDb. But multiple stories already came out as follow-ups. Like I said, the first was that a bunch of Hollywood, or a handful of Hollywood actors, I should say, weren't thrilled with the prospect as the likes of Chris Evans and Elijah Wood hated the idea of bringing back CG version of deceased actors Mm -hmm. then the family of james dean came out saying that they think it's what the actor would have wanted and goes in line with his rebellious and trailblazing personality to do this cutting edge thing and being one of the first to to kind of break through here then the aforementioned ernst and goldick the two producers slash directors on this like i said they're producers as part of the company magic city films who's doing all the cgi work they came out and said they don't understand all the outrage because the family is supportive for it here's my take 
I got bad news for everyone who hates this idea. This is what's happening in Hollywood from now on. Unless there's a giant momentum against this, and a lot of A-list actors say that they think it would be no big, they shouldn't do it, and a lot of people seem to hate the idea and it flops and blah, blah, blah. I imagine there's already conversations being held between major studios and the estates of deceased A-list actors mm -hmm. for this, for, you know, posthumous life rights and likeness rights for certain license deals. I, I agree that the first time this really hits and makes money, it's going to be a snowball. Yeah. I, I think it will eventually work. Somebody will do it well. I agree. I mean, I, I don't think it matters if we like it or not. I think this is what's coming unless there's just such a revolt against it. Because it just makes sense from the studio aspect, too. You're going to get an actor who can do literally whatever you want them to because now, you're positioning them in that way. Right now, let's be honest, it probably doesn't make sense unless the technology costs, you know, sure. pay off at the box right. office. Because it's going to be some upfront costs that are huge. Yeah, the technology probably needs to be perfected, yeah. And the technology's not there yet. we just seen the budget from the Irishman go from right. 80 to 200 million. Basically because of these right. kind of shots. So it is super expensive. So it's not cost effective right now. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. But there's going to come a point in the future. I, mean, I, I do think this is the wave of the future. Because why wouldn't studios want to get people that aren't going to put up a fuss that you can probably get for less? I mean, if these are the states of these places, they're probably going to cost less than like an A-list actor portraying themselves in your movie. Quite frankly, I mean, you're not going to have to pay $20 million for one movie or a license deal or a couple of movies for a deceased actor whose sons and daughters are living, you know? Like, it's just easier for studios. What I'm sorry. if you got a live-action remake of Rebel Without a Cause, mm. CGI'd, all the characters CGI'd, and what would that do to Chris Gore? Like, what <laughs> he would... He would he would basically be stumbling right now like me with it, with his words and it would be his whole existence. He would, he would short circuit. It's going to be a very interesting time in Hollywood coming up soon. And listen to our interview with Chris Gore. We talked about live action remakes, Disney remakes at the end of that, yeah. that one. That was fun. Yeah, he was not happy. <laughs> Michael, you teased this earlier. Carrie Fisher's brother has revealed that original plans had Leia being a full-blown Jedi in The Rise of Skywalker, but she will be brought back with eight minutes of unused footage. So the original plan I get, of course, that would have made a ton of sense to make her a badass Jedi at the end of the third movie. Yeah, there were reports she was going to wield a lightsaber there. Now, she was very powerful in the last movie. Mm -hmm. So we got to see some of that uh, actualization. However, it was kind of in flight, as the second movie usually is. You know, the good guys are on the run, especially the second Star Wars movie. So it wasn't all that gratifying. But they didn't kill her, so they can't kill Lois Strode in Halloween Kills. Go on. You're in trouble. <laughs> and here's the pressure point where that pillar mm -hmm. of your psyche crumbles to the ground. Because Laurie Strode is a goner. <laughs> no. I want Stop you to reckon with this. I want to hijack this set. You've heard segment. this episode. That is literally all I have. <laughs> Michael, I think that uh, the chef episode of South Park. Hello there, children. <laughs> That is what keeps coming up to me. I know that's a just a coarse, terrible right. way of thinking of this. I am so terrified for this aspect of Star Wars, the fact that she's being brought back with eight minutes of unused footage. If that doesn't flow seamlessly with the rest of this plot, if we're going to somehow get some tie-in CGI that's awkward to me, if, yeah. if they're trying to shoehorn this all in, I am so terrified because I've seen it done terribly before. I've seen it done comically before. Mike, I, I don't know if they're going to pull this off. I, I don't think she could be pivotal or pivotal to the plot with only eight minutes of footage. So, like, that worries me, too. Yeah. Like, we've... They had plans to make her such a big part of this. Now she can't. Well, the good news is all they could have to do now is uh, CGI her, and she'll be there for the whole movie, according to the James Dean story we just oh, did. Oh, yeah. Now, could happen. I understand your concerns. In the way you have faith that DC and Matt Reeves will get it right, I have to believe that J.J. Abrams is going to be very respectful of the, the Fisher le legacy. And they know the means. stakes. Right, right exactly. I, I I can't imagine they're going to Sopranos it with the the matriarch there, Tony Soprano's mother, where that was just, a, a, I'm sorry to say, it was a hack job. I mean, it was so painfully obvious right. that she wasn't in the scenes. I get TV is different than Star Wars. Yes, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, worlds of difference. But mm -hmm. I can't imagine that's going to be the path they do. And I, I have nothing to base that on other than faith and faith in J.J. Abrams. Um, but you're right. 
it's a legitimate concern. How could it not be? Yeah. She was taken from us far too soon, and we all want to see her. I mean, she's as big a part of this as Mark Hamill or Harrison Ford or George Lucas or anybody involved with this property. So, (sighs) Talk about great audiobooks, too. All her books are hilarious, by the way. Go, Go listen to those. Mike Spyglass is resurrecting Ghostface in a new Scream movie. If the pillars of your belief system haven't <laughs> fallen as of yet, they are on shaky ground yeah, now. They certainly are. Do you care? Let's, well, I don't know yet. We'll see. Let's get the uh, the business side of it out of the way. For those who don't know, Spyglass is a studio which produced films from 1998 to 2012 and had just recently been resurrected as a subsidiary of Lantern Entertainment, which is the successor to the Weinstein Company and also received funding from WB. Dimension is also owned by Lantern, so from the business side, like I said, that's how Spyglass ends up owning the rights to Scream as Lantern houses basically every IP that the Weinsteins had touched. Okay. Okay. That's how Ghostface is here. Here's my take on this. If you're going to make another Scream on movie, you have to give original fans closure with that big trilogy of heroes. And I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you want to kill them off in the prologue. I don't care if you want to make the, give them a whole new reboot, reshoot, whatever, kind of like what you did with Halloween in 2018, mm-hmm. how they're involved now in this updated franchise. I don't care if you want to have them snap and actually be the killers this time. I don't care, but... Scream 4, which I genuinely liked, ended on a note that was like this societal take. It wasn't really a a fulfilling and gratifying ending Mm -hmm. of closure to these characters of Gail Dewey and Sidney Prescott. We deserve some kind of closure with Gail Dewey and Sidney Prescott as Scream fans. For those of us that have watched this thing since 96 when it came out, which is far too long ago, and now I'm getting depressed as I talk, right? <laughs> like, we, we, we deserve some kind of nod that everything is either okay or it's at least over and we can't do anything about did it. Did you have, like, a secret birthday this week <laughs> or something? Like, what? My else? brother did. Oh, that's your why, brother yeah. did? Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah why? marinating on me, yeah. Talk oh, to me in two months, you'll see God. depressed. Oh, my God. Uh, but I, did you like Scream Four? Yeah, it was it was good. Okay. I liked it. Do you have attachment to the Scream property? I should not be answering questions. You don't. You shouldn't be deflecting on me. No, right I want. I genuinely want to know. I, I do. I do. I liked uh, them as meta commentaries on the whole slasher genre. I liked them back then. I love. I like them now. Uh, I want to rewatch them all in a major series. I think the biggest reason why I care about this is because we'll do a Scream rewatch series Damn right we will. into this movie, <laughs> no matter if they get it right or get it wrong. So that that's cool, right? Yeah, absolutely. That gives I, you I, some I, semblance uh, of hope and nostalgia to, yeah. and a reason to go on. Hold on, yeah. <laughs> they say Kevin Williamson isn't attached in any way, shape, or form. That's kind of sad, but I get it. I don't expect him to be attached to a reboot. I think they have to follow the Halloween blueprint here. Just find some filmmaker with a real seminal attachment to the source material mm-hmm. that actually cares about it. I know it's more niche because Scream hasn't been around as long as Halloween has. It's, 90, it's a 20-year difference. Right. Halloween started 20 years before, so I get that your pool might be a little more dry to pick from than you could have had for Halloween purposes, but there's still a ton of filmmakers. I have to imagine one of these names in horror has an attachment to be able to do this. I mean, I don't know about anyone's personal attachment or affinity for the product. I've mentioned Jordan Peele. I don't think that would ever happen. I don't think Universal would let Peele do it anyway, but that would be my, my dream. I would like to see Shane Black. I think he can make an awesome slasher based around, you know, humans and not dealing with aliens or people from other planets i'm very skeptical of that hypothetical movie but go ahead robert eggers i think no, make, which, no but you want a I think slow burn yes. movie i think that would be wonderful why not and i think you can make what's feel like this really claustrophobic snow globe of atmosphere you want sydney <laughs> and dewey just getting drunk and dancing <laughs> no not you know you could you could, but no, not exactly that. I just I'm, I'm projecting of who I think could do a good job. You with want the movie. a bird fetish in the next screen movie? <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, no. here's my pick. You're over two. Here's my pick. This is who I really want. I want Drew Goddard, and if he can get Joss Whedon to come along, right. too. Yes, that makes but sense. The tone of Cabin in the Woods is what Scream is. Right, they're so nineties. They right. hit 90s, you know, n- nostalgia. And they yeah. walk that tightrope of being a very funny movie, but sure. also incredibly scary, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's what Scream has been. That's been, like, the pillar, to steal your word, of that franchise. Well, how about this? Like, someone like Olivia Wilde. 
who just did a comedy like, uh, you know, Jordan Peele was doing comedies for a while. She nailed all that funny stuff. Could she be involved? Yeah, why not? That'd be great. uh, Booksmart. That'd be great. I would... Anybody who's done a good job in any movie, I would take at this point, okay? <laughs> just make it something just, yeah, good. Just make this okay and give me closure. <laughs> I speak about this like I care about screen fans. I don't. I need closure, <laughs> okay? So this ended with a plea. This is the least surprise I've been in the entire episode. But that that was a one hell of an MMO weekly. Diving That's, deep to our side. That is your week in preview and review. I'm going to go in a corner and cry or stare at it like the end of the Blair Witch movie. Sorry for that spoiler. Uh, guys, we obviously want to know your comments, questions, thoughts, concerns about this, and anything else we cover here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter, where, again, all three of those we are asking daily a question about the best and worst and most unique of 2019 in film. We genuinely want to hear your thoughts and concerns there and anything, any kind of input you have. And, you know, maybe we'll start repeating some on air here if you you keep this up because we love the feedback you've been giving us. Don't forget also to participate in the Six Degrees of MMO challenge that we laid out in this episode. Uh, You can also reach us at MikeMikeAndOscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you do hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. So if you use Apple Podcasts, happen to use iTunes or own an iPhone, if you go on your iPhone to the podcast app, that is that little purple square with a ghost face mask sticking out of the middle of it. Tap on that. Type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search and submit. You'll see the opportunity People to tap on People are going to be like, where's the ghost face mask? <laughs> it's a white stick, but I don't know what to call it. So that's I just call it something new. I get it. <laughs> Leave yeah, me alone! I, I do get it, but I don't, I'm afraid for other people. <laughs> Type in Mike, Mike, You're and Oscar. You're wrong. You criticized anything you said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Type in Mike, Mike and Oscar into the search and submit. Uh, you'll see our logo. Tap on that. Scroll down. Once you see the opportunity, leave us five stars. For those of you who have and will, we thank you very much. Michael, put me out of my misery. Uh, what is coming next and what are some words of wisdom? It is wise to uh, work through your issues. Uh, and, and through the movies that have been meaningful to us over the years. Agree. I don't know if it's wise to do it publicly, but we did that today. The Giants lose to the Jets today. They're losing. You're going to rest your psychology on the Giants winning a football game? No, I actually want them to lose so they'll win. No, you would deserve all of the mental breakdowns you could get in that case, which is the worst thing anybody's ever said to somebody else. All of this. Uh, what's coming up next? We got an Oscar race checkpoint at the end of the week. I got a bunch of short films. I'm going to review for that. How about that pitch? Netflix is nice. putting out a bunch of short films, so I'm going to review a couple. Uh, I think uh, we're going to review Ford versus Ferrari. We are going to do that. Uh, with, a, with a special guest for early next week. But next up, we're going to review Doctor Sleep as a movie event and uh, have a lot of fun with that. I already seen it and I think it pays homage to The Shining in many ways and it's also kind of a different movie. So even if we don't love it and I'm I'm mixed cuz I love a lot of stuff, I I'm sure it'll have no repercussions on my mental state. Currently. I'm really <laughs> curious in this vulnerable horrified state what the effects going to be on you. I am interested to see it. I can't wait. So, but we, we uh, got a ton of OSPs coming. We'll take a break this see week. See me from... in a bathtub with a grandmother. You'll know it all Ooh, just man, didn't oh go God. well. Yeah, I'll be wearing a right. tuxedo. No, but this movie will give you courage to go to the bathroom with that particular grandmother. Come on, Grandma. <laughs> no, that grandma. <laughs> that haunted ghost naked lady. None of this went right. It went the way I thought it did, would go. None of this episode. None of this outro. It went perfectly. Uh, guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Go play and have some fun with us on all our social medias. And uh, just for our Connecticut listeners specifically, as you know, Mike uh, did a spot on the non-cast, uh, Netflix original movies cast that our buddy Andrew uh, runs here. We have a trailer at the end of this that we're going to run that's going to promote the Irishman's Connecticut theatrical debut. Yes. Uh, Going to be chock full of some information for you. So if you are in the New England area, you want to see the Irishman on the big screen or you're in the state of Connecticut, uh, definitely go listen to that. It's going to be at the end of this and we sign off right now. Uh, and you can go see the Irishman on the big screen. Do it. Yeah, Do absolutely. It. Go Why see not? It. I'm working at night. I can't go. I'm very upset about that fact. I, I know you were 
upset you couldn't go either. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I can't see any movie in a theater for three and a half hours in my physical condition. And now in my mental condition, based on this You're, episode. I'm more worried about your mental <laughs> condition, no question about it. And this is the worst segue we've ever given a promotion in the history of time. But there we tried. And no, 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 go go see The Irishman uh, in Wallingford if you're a Connecticut resident. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys in a couple days. See you. Hey, I'm Andrew Morgan, host of the Netflix original movie podcast, The Nomcast. Martin Scorsese's latest masterpiece, The Irishman, is coming to Netflix on November 27th, but starting November 15th, Holiday Cinemas in Wallingford will have a limited run of The Irishman on the big screen, and I want to see you opening night. The Nomcast will be there alongside some of your favorite Connecticut podcasters, taking your opinions on the movie. Tickets are moving fast, so get your opening night tickets now online at HolidayCinemas10.com. That's HolidayCinemas10.com for tickets right now. Follow at NomcastPod on social media and let us know you're coming to see The Irishman with us.